The Phenomena of Sexual Periodicity, Part 3, Section 2 of Studies in the Psychology of Sex, Volume 1, by Havelock Ellis. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Christopher Most. The Phenomena of Sexual Periodicity, Part 3, Section 2. Thus the great spring festivals were held between March and June, frequently culminating in a great orgy on Midsummer's Eve. The next great season of festivals in Europe was in autumn. The beginning of August was a great festival in Celtic lands, and the echoes of it, Rise remarks, have not yet died out in Wales. The beginning of November, both in Celtic and Teutonic countries, was a period of bonfires. In Germanic countries especially there was a festival at the time. The Germanic year began at Martinmas, November 11th, and the great festival of the year was then held. It is the oldest Germanic festival on record, and retained its importance even in the Middle Ages. There was feasting all night, and the cattle that were to be killed were devoted to the gods. The goose was associated with this festival. These autumn festivals culminated in the great festival of the winter solstice which we have perpetrated in the celebrations of Christmas and New Year. Thus, while the two great primitive culminating festivals of spring and autumn correspond exactly, as we shall see, with the seasons of maximum fecundation, even in the Europe of today, the earlier spring, March, and though less closely, autumn, in November, festivals correspond with the periods of maximum spontaneous sexual disturbance, as far as I have been able to obtain precise evidence of such disturbance. That the maximum of physiological sexual excitement should tend to appear earlier than the maximum of fecundation is a result that might be expected. The considerations so far brought forward clearly indicate that among primitive races there are frequently one or two seasons in the year, especially spring and autumn, during which sexual intercourse is chiefly or even exclusively carried on, and that they further indicate that these primitive customs persist to some extent even in Europe today. It would still remain to determine whether any such influence affects the whole mass of the civilized population and determines the times at which intercourse or fecundation most frequently takes place. This question can be most conveniently answered by studying the seasonal variation in the birth rate, calculating back to the time of conception. Wargentin, in Sweden, first called attention to the periodicity of the birth rate in 1767. The matter seems to have attracted little further attention until Quedlet, who instinctively scented unreclaimed fields of statistical investigation, showed that in Belgium and Holland there is a maximum of births in February, and consequently of conceptions in May, and a minimum of births about July, with consequent minimum of conceptions in October. Quedlet considered that the spring maximum of conceptions corresponded to an increase of vitality after the winter cold. He pointed out that the sexual climax was better marked in the country than in towns, and accounted for this by the consideration that in the country the winter cold is more keenly felt. Later, Wapos investigated the matter in various parts of northern and southern Europe as well as in Chile, and found that there was a maximum of conceptions in May and June attributable into season, and in Catholic countries strengthened by customs connected with the ecclesiastical seasons. This maximum was, he found, followed by a minimum in September, October, and November, due to gradually increasing exhaustion and the influence of epidemic diseases, as well as the strain of harvest work. The minimum is reached in the south earlier than in the north. About November, conceptions again become more frequent, and reach the second maximum at about Christmas and New Year. The second maximum is sl very slightly marked in the southern countries, but strongly marked in northern countries. In Sweden, the absolute maximum of conceptions is reached in December, and is due, in the opinion of Wapus, solely to social causes. Villermé reached somewhat similar results. Founding his study on 17 million births, he showed that in France it was in April, May, and June, or from the spring equinox to the summer solstice, 
and nearer to the solstice than the equinox, that the maximum of fecundations takes place, while the minimum of births is normally in July, but is retarded by a wet and cold summer in such a manner that in August there are scarcely more births than in July, and on the other hand, a very hot summer, accelerating the minimum of births, causes it to fall in June instead of in July. He also showed that in Buenos Aires, where the seasons are reversed, the conception rate follows the reverse seasons, and is also raised by epochs of repose, of plentiful food, and of increased social life. Sarmani studied the periodicity of conception in Italy, and found that the spring maximum in the southern provinces occurs in May, and gradually falls later as one proceeds northward, until, in the extreme north of the peninsula, it occurs in July. In southern Italy there is only one maximum and one minimum. In the north there are two. The minimum which follows the spring or summer maximum increases as we approach the south, while the minimum associated with the winter cold increases as we approach the north. Boykman, who studied the matter in various parts of Germany, found that seasonal influence was specially marked in the case of illegitimate births. The maximum of conceptions of illegitimate children takes place in the spring and summer of Europe generally. In Russia it takes place in the autumn and winter, when the harvest-working months for the population are over, and the period of rest and also of minimum death rate, September, October, and November, comes round. In Russia, the general conception rate has been studied by various investigators. Here, the maximum number of conceptions is in winter, the minimum varying among different elements of the population. Looked at more closely, there are maxima of conceptions in Russia in January and in April. In Russian towns, however, the maximum number of conceptions occurs in autumn. The special characteristics of the Russian conception time are held to be due to the prevalence of marriages in autumn and winter, to the severely observed fasts of spring, and to the exhausting harvest work of summer. It is instinctive to compare the conception rate of Europe with that of a non-European country. Such a comparison has been made by S. A. Hill for the northwest provinces of India. Here the Holi and other erotic festivals take place in spring, but spring is not the period when conceptions chiefly take place. Indeed, the prevalence of erotic festivals in spring appears to Hill an argument in favor of those festivals having originated in a colder climate. The conceptions show a rise through October and November to a maximum in December and January, followed by a steady and prolonged fall to a minimum in September. This curve can be accounted for by climactic and economic conditions. September is near the end of a long and depressing hot season, when malarial influences are rapidly increasing to a maximum. The food supply is nearly exhausted, and there is the greatest tendency to suicide. With October it forms the period of greatest mortality. December, on the other hand, is the month when food is most abundant, and it is also a very healthy month. For a summary of the chief researchers into this question, see Ploss and Bartels, Das Wieb, also Rosenstadt translated from German, on the question of the causes which the number of conceptions, etc., communications from the Embryological Institute, University of Vienna. Second series, Facsimile 4, 1890. Rosenstadt concludes that man has inherited from animal ancestors a physiological custom, which has probably been further favored by climactic and social conditions. Primitive man, he proceeds, had inherited from his ancestors the faculty of only reproducing himself at determined epochs. On the arrival of this period of rut, Fidencation took place on a large scale, thus being very easy, thanks to the promiscuity in which primitive man lived. With the development of civilization, men give themselves up to sexual relations all the year around, but the physiological custom of procreating at a certain epoch has not completely disappeared. It remains as a survival of the animal condition, and manifests itself in the recrudescence of the number of conceptions during certain months of the year. O. Rosenbach, in Remarks on the Problem of Rutting in Humans, Archives for Races and Sociobiology, translated from German. 
heft five has also argued in favor of a chief sexual period in the year of man with secondary and even tertiary climaxes in march august and december he finds that in some families for several generations birthdays tend to fall in the same months but his paper is on the whole inconclusive some years ago, Professor J. B. Haycraft argued, on the basis of data furnished by Scotland, that the conception rate corresponds to the temperature curve. Haycraft, Physiological Results of the Temperature Variation, in Transactions of the Royal Society of Edinburgh, Volume, volume 29, 1880. Temperature, he concluded, is the main factor regulating the variations in the number of conceptions which occur during the year. It increases their number with its elevation, and this on an average of 0.5% for an elevation of 1 degree Fahrenheit. Whether or not this theory may fit the facts as regards Scotland, it is certainly altogether untenable when we take a broader view of the phenomenon. Recently, Dr. Paul Gedecken of Copenhagen has argued in a detailed statistical study, translated from French, the reaction the agency under the influence of physical chemical agents weather, in the Archives of Criminal Anthropology, February 1909, that the conception rate as well as the periodicity of suicide and allied phenomena is due to the action of the chemical rays on the unpigmented skin in the early spring, this action being physiologically similar to that of alcohol. He seeks thus to account for the marked and early occurrence of such periodic phenomena in Greenland and other northern countries where there is much chemical reaction, owing to the clear air, in early spring, but little heat. This explanation would not cover an autumnal climax, the existence of which Gedecken denies. In order to obtain a fairly typical conception curve for Europe, and to allow variations of local habit and custom to some extent to annihilate each other, I have summated the figures given by Marr for about a quarter of a million births in Germany, France, and Italy, obtaining a curve of the conception chart which may be said roughly to be that of Europe generally. If we begin at September as the lowest point, we find an autumn rise culminating in the lesser maximum of Christmas, followed by a minor depression in January and February. Then comes the great spring rise, culminating in May, and followed after June by a rapid descent to the minimum. In Canada, see, e.g., Report of the Registrar-General of the Province of Ontario for 1904, the maximum and minimum of conceptions alike fall later than in Europe. The months of maximum conception are June, July, and August. Of minimum conception, January, February, and March. June is the favorite month for marriage. It would be of some interest to know the conception curve for the well-to-do classes, who are largely free from the industrial and social influences which evidently to a great extent control the conception rate. It seems probable that the seasonal influence would here be specially well shown. The only attempt I have made in this direction is to examine a well-filled birthday book. The entries show a very high and equally maintained maximum of conceptions throughout April, May, and June, followed by a marked minimum during the next three months, and an autumn rise very strongly marked in November there is no December rise. As will be seen, there is here a fairly exact resemblance to the yearly ecbolic curve of people in the same class. The inquiry needs, however, to be extended to a very much larger number of cases. Mr. John Douglas Brown of Philadelphia has kindly prepared and sent me, since the above was written, a series of curves showing the annual periodicity of births among the educated classes in the state of Pennsylvania, using the statistics as to 4,066 births contained in the biographical catalogue of matriculates of the College of the University of Pennsylvania. Mr. Brown has prepared four curves. The first, covering the earliest period, 1757 to 1859. The second, the period 1860 to 1876. The third, 1877 to 1893, while the fourth presented the summated results for the whole period. The dates named are those of the entry of classes, and not of the actual occurrence of birth. A very definite and well-marked curve is shown, and the average number of births, not conception per day, for the whole period is as follows. 
there is thus a well-marked minimum of conceptions a depression appearing here in each of the three periods separately about the month of july in the second period however which contains the smallest number of births the minimum occurs in september from that low minimum there is a steady and unbroken rise up to the chief maximum in november in the first period however the maximum is delayed until january and in the second period it is somewhat diffused there is a tendency to a minor maximum in february specially well marked in the third and most important period and in the first period delayed until march a very curious and perhaps not accidental coincidence might be briefly pointed out before we leave this part of the subject it is found by taking three thousand cases of children dying under one year that among the general population children born in february and september and therefore conceived in may and december appear to possess the greatest vitality those born in june and therefore conceived in september the least vitality as we have seen may and december are precisely the periods when conceptions in europe generally are at a maximum and september is precisely the period when they are at a minimum so that if this coincidence is not accidental the strongest children are conceived when there is the strongest tendency to procreate and the feeblest children when that tendency is the feeblest nelson in his study of dreams and their relation to the seasonal ecbolic manifestations does not present any yearly ecbolic curve as to the two years and a half over which his observations extend scarcely supplies sufficient basis on examining his figures however i find there is a certain amount of evidence of a yearly rhythm there are spring and autumn climaxes throughout in february and in november there is no december rise during one year there is a marked minimum from may to september though it is but slightly traceable in the succeeding year these figures are too uncertain to prove anything, but as far as they go, they are in fair agreement with the much more extensive record, that of W.K., which I have already made use of in discussing the question of a monthly rhythm. This record, covering nearly twelve years, shows a general tendency when the year is divided into four periods, November-January, February-April, May-July, August-October, and the results summated to rise steadily throughout, from the minimum in the winter period to the maximum in the autumn period. This steady upward progress is not seen in each year taken separately. In three years there is a fall in passing from the November-January to the February-April quarter, always followed by the rise in the subsequent quarter. In three cases there is a fall in passing from the second to the third quarter, again always followed by a rise in the following quarter, and in two successive years there is a fall in passing from the third to the fourth quarter. If, however, beginning at the second year, we summate the results for each year with those from all previous years, a steady rise from season to season is seen throughout. If we analyze the data according to the months of the year, still more precise and interesting results, as shown in the curve, are obtained. Two maximum points are seen, one in spring, March, one in April, October, or rather August-October, and each of these maximum points is followed by a steep and sudden descent to the minimum points in April and in December. If we compare this result with Perry costs also extending over a long series of years, we find a marked similarity. In both alike there are spring and autumn maxima. In both the autumn maximum is the highest, and in both also there is an intervening fall. In both cases again the maxima are followed by steep descents. But while in both the spring maximum occurs in March, in Pericost's case the second maximum, though of precisely similar shape, occurs earlier in June-September instead of August-October. In Pericost's case, also, there is an apparently abnormal tendency, only shown in the more recent years of the record, to an additional maximum in January. The records certainly show far more points of agreement than of discrepancy, and by their harmony as well with each other as to themselves, when the years are taken separately, certainly go far to prove that there is a very marked annual rhythm in the phenomena of seminal emissions during sleep, or as Nelson had termed it, the ecbolic curve. 
we see also that the great yearly organic climax of sexual effervescence corresponds with the period following harvest which throughout the primitive world has been a season of sexual erethism and orgy though those customs have died out of our waking lives they are still imprinted on our nervous texture and become manifest during sleep the fresh records that have reached me since the first edition of this book was published show well-marked annual curves though each curve always has some slight personal peculiarities of its own the most interesting and significant is that of e m covering four years it is indicated by the following monthly frequencies summated for the four years january sixteen february thirteen march fourteen april twenty two may nineteen june nineteen july twelve august twelve september fourteen november twelve december twenty four e m lives in india april may and june are hot months but not unhealthy and during this season moreover he lives in the hills under favorable conditions getting plenty of outdoor exercise july august and september are nearly as hot but much damper and more trying during these months e m is living in the city and his work is then also more exacting than at other times september is the worst month of all he has a short holiday at the end of it during december january and february the climate is very fine and e m s work is easier it will be seen that his ecbolic curve corresponds to his circumstances and environment although until he analyzed the record he had no idea any such relationship existed unfavorable climactic conditions and hard work favorable conditions and lighter work happen to coincide in his life and the former depress the frequency of seminal emissions the latter increase their frequency at the same time the curve is not out of harmony with the northern curves this is what corresponds to a late spring april climax and another still higher late autumn december climax a very interesting point is the general resemblance of the ecbolic curves to the indian conception curves as set forth by hill the conception curve is at its lowest point in december and at the highest point in december january and this ecbolic curve follows it except that both the minimum and maximum are reached a little earlier when compared with the english annual ecbolic curves w k and perry cost both spring and autumn maxima fall rather later but all agree in representing the autumn rise as the chief climax the annual curve of a n who lives in indiana u s a also covers four years it presents the usual spring may june in this case and autumn september october climaxes the exact monthly results summated for the four years are given below in order to allow for the irregular lengths of the months i have reduced them to daily averages for convenience treating the four years as one year january thirteen point four two february nine point three two march thirteenth point four two april twenty point six six may twenty three point seven four june twenty two point seven three july twenty point six four august twenty point six four september twenty one point seven oh october twenty three point seven four november nine point three oh december sixteen point five two in his book on adolescence stanley hall refers to three ecbolic records in his possession all made by men who were doctors of philosophy and all considering themselves normal the best of these records was made by a virtuous active and able man covering nearly eight years stanley hall thus summarizes the records which are not presented in detail the best of these records averages about three and a half such experiences per month the most frequent being five point one four for july and the least frequent two point two eight for september for all the years taken together 
There appears also to be a slight rise in April, and another in November, with a fall in December. The frequency varies in the different individuals. There was no tendency to a monthly cycle. In the best case, the minimum number for the year was 37, and the maximum 50. 59% of all were at the interval of a week or less, 40% at an interval of from 1 to 4 days, 34% at an interval from 8 to 17 days, the longest being 42 days. Poor condition, overwork, and undersleep led to infrequency. Early morning was the most common time. Normally there was a sense of distinct relief, but in low conditions or with overfrequency, depression. G.S. Hall, Adolescence, Volume 1, page 453. I may add that an anonymous article on nocturnal emissions from the American Journal of Psychology, January 1904, is evidently a fuller presentation of the first of Stanley Hall's three cases. It is the history of a healthy, unmarried, chaste man who kept a record of his nocturnal emissions and their accompanying dreams from the age of 30 to 38. In what American state he lived is not mentioned. He was ignorant of the existence of any previous records. The yearly average was 37 to 50, remaining fairly constant. The monthly average was 3.43. I reproduced the total results summated for the months separately, and I have worked out the daily average for each month, for convenience counting the summated eight years as one year. January 27.87 February 27.94 March 27.87 April 31, 1.03, May 29.93, June 28.93, July 36, 1.16, August 25.81, September 18.60, October 27.87, November 30th, 1.0, December 24.77. Here, as in all the other curves we have been able to consider, we may see the usual two points of climax in spring and in autumn. The major climax covers April, May, June, and July. The minor autumnal climax is confined to November. In the light of the evidence which has thus accumulated, we may conclude that the existence of an annual ecbolic curve with its spring and autumn climaxes, as described in the first edition of this book, is now definitely established. If we are to believe, as these records tend to show, that the nocturnal and involuntary voice of the sexual impulse usually speaks at least as loudly in autumn as in spring, we are confronted by a certain divergence of the sleeping sexual impulse from the waking sexual instinct, as witnessed by the conception curve, and also, it may be added, by the general voice of tradition, and indeed, of individual feeling, which concur, on the whole, in placing the chief epoch of sexual activity in spring and early summer, more especially as regards women. It is not impossible to reconcile the contradiction, assuming it to be real. I will refrain here from suggesting the various explanations which arise. We need a broader basis of facts. There are many facts to show that early spring and, to a certain extent, autumn are periods of visible excitement, mainly sexual in character. We have already seen that among Eskimo menstruation and sexual desire, they occur chiefly in spring, but the cases are known of healthy women in temperate climes who only menstruate twice a year, and in such cases the menstrual epochs appear to be usually in spring and autumn. Such, at all events, was the case in a girl of twenty whose history has been recorded by Dr. Mary Wink of Philadelphia. She menstruated first when fifteen years old. Sixteen months later the flow again appeared for the second time, and lasted three weeks without cessation. Since then, for five years, she menstruated during March and September only, each time for three weeks, the flow being profuse, but not exhaustingly so, without pain or systemic disturbance. Examination revealed perfectly normal uterus and ovarian organs. Treatment, accompanied by sitz baths during the time of the month the flow should appear, accomplished nothing. The semi-annual flow continued, and the girl seemed in excellent health. 
It is a remarkable fact, as noted by Dr. Hamilton Way at Elmira, sexual outbursts among prisoners appear to occur at about March and October. Beginning with the middle of February, writes Dr. Way in a private letter, and continuing for about two months, is the season of ascending sexual wave, also the latter half of September and the month of October. We are now, March 30th, in the midst of a wave. According to Chinese medicine, it is the spring which awakens human passions. In early Greek tradition, spring and summer were noted as the time of greatest wantonness. In the season of toilsome summer, says Hesiod, Works and Days, 6, page 569-90, the goats are fattest, wine is best, women most wanton, and men weakest. It was so, also, in the experience of the Romans. Pliny, Natural History, Book 7, Chapter 43. States that when the asparagus blooms and the cicada sings loudest, it is the season when women are most amorous, but men are least inclined to pleasure. Paulus Aginata said that hysteria specially abounds during spring and autumn in lavicious girls and sterile women, while more recent observers have believed that hysteria is particularly difficult to treat in autumn. Arabasius in the Synopsis Library 1, Capital 6, quotes from Rufus to the effect that sexual feeling is most strong in spring and least so in summer. Rebellius said that it was in March that the sexual impulse is strongest, referring this to the early warmth of spring, and that August is the month least favorable to sexual activity. Nepho, in his book on love dedicated to Joan of Aragon, discussed the reasons why women are more lustful and amorous in summer, and men in winter. Venet, in his Generation de l'Homme, harmonized somewhat conflicting statements with the observation that spring is the season of love for both men and women. In summer, women are more amorous than men. In autumn, men revive to some extent, but are still oppressed by the heat, which, sexually, has a less depressing effect on women. There is probably a real element of truth in this view, and both extremes of heat and cold may be regarded as unfavorable to masculine virility. It is highly probable that the well-recognized tendency of piles to become troublesome in spring and in autumn is due to increased sexual activity. Piles are favored by congestion and sexual excitement is the most powerful cause of sudden congestion in the genitoanal region. Erasmus Darwin called attention to the tendency of piles to recur about the equinoxes in Zoonomia section 36. And since his days, Gant, Bonavia, and Cullimore have correlated this periodicity with sexual activity. Laycock, quoting the opinions of some earlier authorities as to the prevalence of sexual feeling in spring, stated that the popular opinion appears to be founded on fact, from Nervous Diseases of Women, page 69. I find that many people, and perhaps especially women, confirm from their own experience the statement that sexual feeling is strongest in spring and summer. Weichmann states that pollutions are most common in spring, being perhaps the first to make that statement, and also nymphomania. In the 18th century, Schurig recorded a case of extreme and lifelong sexual desire in a woman whose salacity was always at its height towards the festival of St. John, in Gynecologia, page 16. A correspondent in the Argentine Republic writes to me that on big estancias, where we have a good many shepherds, nearly always married, or rather, I should say, living with some woman, for our standard of morality is not very high in these parts, we always look out for trouble in springtime, as it is a very common thing at this season for wives to leave their husbands and go live with some other man. A corresponding tendency has been noted even among children. Thus, Sanford Bell, in The Emotion of Love Between the Sexes, American Journal of Psychology, July 1902, remarks, The season of the year seems to have its effect upon the intensity of the motion of sex love among children. One teacher from Texas, who furnished me with 76 cases, said that he had noticed in the matter of love children seemed fairly to break out in the springtime. Many of the others who reported incidentally mentioned the love affairs as beginning in spring. This also agrees with my own observations. 
Crichton-Brown remarks that children in springtime exhibit restlessness, excitability, perversity, and indisposition to exertion that are not displayed at other times. This condition, sometimes known as spring fever, has been studied in over a hundred cases, both children and adults, by Klein. The majority of these report a feeling of tiredness, languor, lassitude, sometimes restlessness, sometimes drowsiness. There is often a feeling of suffocation and a longing for nature and fresh air and daydreams, while work seems distasteful and unsatisfactory. Change is felt to be necessary at all costs, and sometimes there is a desire to begin some new plan of life. In both sexes there is frequently a wave of sexual emotion, a longing for love. Klein also found, by examination of a very large number of cases, that between the ages of four and seventeen it is in spring that running away from home most often occurs. He suggests that this whole group of phenomena may be due to the shifting of metabolic processes from the ordinary grooves into reproductive channels, and seeks to bring it into connection with the migrations of animals for reproductive purposes. End of the Phenomena of Sexual Periodicity, Part 3, Section 2 Read by Christopher Most